My name is Rob Orman, and you are listening to The Stimulus Podcast, where I break down ideas, strategies, and tactics to live and work with intent. What does that mean? It means don't just suck it up. Think differently. I'm a physician coach. I am a physician who coaches other physicians through burnout, overwhelm, maladaptive habits and behaviors, leadership challenges, and wherever else they or you may be feeling stuck. The area where I really specialize is working with docs who want to stay in medicine, but are finding it challenging to do so. To learn more, go to my website, Rob Orman, R-O-B-O-R-M-A-N.com, where you can read about the experiences of other clients, take a look at our coaching menu, explore the podcast show notes, and even sign up for a free coaching discovery session with me, where we will break down your challenges, goals, and see if coaching is something you might want to pursue. In 1993, Daniel Kahneman and his colleagues published a paper titled, When More Pain is Preferred to Less, Adding a Better End. Study participants went through two unpleasant events involving cold water. In the first, they put one hand in cold water for a minute. In the second, they kept their hand in the same temperature water for a minute, so same thing, and then kept it in for 30 more seconds as the temperature was raised one degree. Just one degree, barely perceptibly more comfortable. And here's where it gets interesting. Study subjects were then asked which one they'd like to repeat, 60 seconds in cold water or 60 seconds in the same cold water plus 30 more seconds in slightly less cold water. So both experiences had the same duration of cold water with the second having the hand in for longer with just a little less discomfort. And what happened next was on the surface almost paradoxical. Over two-thirds of the participants chose to repeat the longer submersion. Keep the hand in cold water longer. It didn't matter if they had done the 60 or 90 seconds first, whether it was their dominant hand or their non-dominant hand, none of that made a difference. What did make a difference was what they experienced in real time. Those who reported a larger decrease in discomfort when the water was made warmer, oh yeah, they're just a little better they chose to go again for the full 90 seconds. Those who didn't notice much of a difference, they chose the shorter submersion. Most of the subjects said that the longer trial felt better, even though they had just as much, just as long unpleasantness as a shorter submersion. Both times they had their hand in cold water for at least a minute. And all of this supports what is known as the peak end pattern. What happens at the end of an event can disproportionately impact our perception and memory of it. And it's not just this hand in cold water experiment. Multiple other studies have borne this out. There was even a study also by Kahneman on people getting colonoscopies who reported real-time discomfort throughout the procedure. This was in the pre-propofol era. Oh my gosh, how times have changed. So they're getting colonoscopies and their memory of the event was not impacted by how long the colonoscopy went, but it was impacted by their discomfort at the end of the procedure. What happened at the end is what most echoed 
in their minds. And in another colonoscopy study, you know, I'm actually seeing a trend here. (laughs) The trend with the colonoscopies in this research. So there's another colonoscopy study. Those who had a more comfortable ending, and this was deliberate. It was a controlled trial with two groups with the difference being what they did with the colonoscope right at the end of the study. The ones who had a more comfortable ending had a higher rate of return for follow-up colonoscopy, even when other factors were accounted for. And let me quote from that. So this is Memories of Colonoscopy, a randomized trial. This is published in Pain 2003. The author said, quote, Overall memory is created by recalling selected moments rather than an exact running total of experience. The duration of an episode has relatively small influence unless it's highly salient, e.g. the wait for surgery, or correlated with intensity, e.g. the duration of labor. Last impressions may be lasting impressions when people reflect on past life experiences. And one of the interesting things about the peak end phenomenon, at least as it's represented in the literature, is that it's often framed as a bug, a bug in our operating system. And, you know, it it is, I mean, in many ways it is, but I think it can also be a feature because our experience of events is in many ways determined by our impression of events. Marcus Aurelius, I mean, he nailed it. He said, our life is what our thoughts make it. And thus, the pivot, turning this from a bug into a feature. I cannot take credit for this idea. I certainly didn't make it up. I actually learned about this from a client who is right now using peak ending during his shifts where his intent going to work is to make sure his coworkers are supported and feel supported. And some of that comes through facilitating a peak end for them, thanking them for coming in, for doing the hard work and doing what he can to make sure that they get out on time or as close to it as possible. He said, I don't really focus on the clinical stuff anymore. Well, I focus on it, but that's not my main thing because I feel like I've got that. What I focus on is making work a little more delightful for my crew. We're all so burnt right now that that's what I see as my most important role. And one of the ways I do that is by being a champion of the peak end. He went on to say, if I can make the last 15% of a negative experience more positive, people will reflect on it positively. So I reflect to them on how helpful people have been. I make sure they can go to the bathroom, eat, drink, get them out at the end of the shift. And then what they remember is that a senior member helped them get out on time. So people feel like they did the right thing coming to work. And this isn't just happening in his own mind. He's deliberate about it with his team. He gives a roadmap for what the peak end time will look like. And then he starts with an early shift huddle. I mean, huddles, they can get such an eye roll, but sometimes they can really be impactful. And he overtly says, quote, this is the peak end plan. Let's make it our best quality work. An hour before our shift ends, let's begin tidying up, get the dispos done, loose ends taken care of. Any new patient that comes in 30 minutes before the end of shift, put down some orders, get things rolling, but leave it to the next team to assume care. Of course, take care of the critically ill whenever they come in, if that's needed. So what's happening here? At the end of the day, we're lagging. We're tired. We just want to get out. Just want to be done. But by focusing on the peak end, by being our best at the end, or at least trying to, we're at least addressing the reality of what happens at the end, perhaps even bringing to bear more intentional care. 
Now, up to this point, it, this all might sound like a, a trick or manipulating recency bias. And yeah, uh, sure. Some of that's true. This is using knowledge of neural wiring to enhance experience or the impression of the experience. But I think there's something deeper here that's not brought up in the research of peak ending, but is certainly being addressed by the strategy just mentioned. And that is not just creating the impression of a better experience by nailing the ending, but actually being better in the end. And what I mean by this is putting deliberate focus on that finishing time, that closing time. Often the beginning of the day, and this is at least how kind of how I experience it. The beginning of the day, it's like a bucking Bronco. You're just taking what the world gives you and just trying to hang on. But the end, much of the time can be structured in a way to make it truly excellent. Excellent for you, your staff, and your patients. And it brings to mind Michael Jordan. Now, how does Michael Jordan have anything to do with this? Michael Jordan, arguably one of the best, if not the best basketball players of all time. He was known to excel in pretty much all aspects of the game. And one area where he put his focus was in the finishing time. He was known for that, for really excelling in those closing minutes. What am I doing during that time, during the closing minutes of the game to win? I'm tired, yes, but now is the time to really bring it. And I heard that years ago and it stuck with me. And what I took away was always bring your A game. And in the closing minutes, bring your A plus game. So how do you do that? When you're depleted on all levels, I think we need to bring depletion into this because at the end of the day, it's just you know, sometimes you feel like you're running on fumes. So there is a self-care element here, right? Hydrate, eat, pee, take a pause to fuel for the finish. And then you think, oh, look, I am too busy. It's too busy. Yes, you are. Yes, it is. I mean, there's like this, this classic thing where patient comes in, is talking to the ER doc, says, I haven't, I haven't peed for eight hours. <laughs> and the doc says, yeah, me neither. But self-care at this end time. We had an episode a while ago on the art of taking a break and structuring that in to your workday. And if you consider the finishing time a distinct part of your shift and you prepare for it, then that is one way to mitigate at least some of that depletion. You're still going to be depleted, don't get me wrong, but accounting for it, that's a first step. And some of this does require a little bit of, I don't know, what would you call it? Selfishness on your part? I don't know if that's the right word. That kind of has a negative connotation, but you are thinking about yourself to some degree. And there's boundaries that need to be set. Wherever you have structure, you also have boundaries. And I bring this up because we collectively, I think, lionize martyrdom for the sake of patient care. And that can be a problem. You know I mean? If you're always taking that extra patient towards the end and staying four hours after your shift is over, or you repeatedly double, triple book the end of your clinic day and you get home late, that's going to add up. So let's say you're a GI doc. All right. My office weeks, I'm going to structure my peak ending. I'll let my team know about it. So we finish strong, make sure they're taken care of. They're taking care of me. Last patient scheduled to end at 4.30. From 4.30 to 5, we're reviewing results. We're going to be together. We're going to make sure these things get done and get taken care of well. I don't know. 
whatever. It's, I mean, it's going to vary depending on your situation, but it's just, okay, what needs to happen at the end here? What am I going to put into place? What am I going to communicate to my team? What are we going to all be on board with? Or if you're an ER doc, this is kind of a personal peak ending, a personal finish time. I think there's a couple aspects to it. You know, you kind of, all right, how do I want to end my day? How do I want to support my team? So for yourself, you know, one way, work backwards. I want to get out an hour after my shift is over. That's when I want to be walking out. Okay. Well, when do you want to sit down and finish your charts? I want to start my charting at the end of my schedule shift. Great. All right. So what needs to be true? What needs to happen for that to be possible? What time does the structured ending need to begin? There's going to be signouts, managing boarded patients, phone calls, stuff that happens at the end of each shift. You're being careful not to rush and just you know admit everyone to take them off your plate. It might look something like this. 90 minutes before the ending, eat, drink, go to the bathroom, get a breath of fresh air in the ambulance bay, just kind of reset your brain. And that could be a fantasy. It might be 90 minutes beforehand, I'm going to inhale a cliff bar and maybe go to the bathroom. I don't know. It's going to vary depending on the constraints of your work environment. One hour before shift ending, you're signing out your mental health patients to the next doc, if that's an option. 50 minutes before the ending, making a checklist for each patient, meeting with your team to prioritize and delegate. When your shift is officially ended, there you go. There's your marker to sign out your remaining binary decisions. Go finish your charts. Now, this does assume a sign-out culture, which can most certainly help with the peak ending. It also assumes that there's going to be somebody with you during your shift and you're not all alone. I know a lot of you work solo until the next dot comes on and then they take over. So you are unique in your situation and this is just you. There's also supporting the peak ending of your team. And I'll say this, one thing to avoid here is making your peak ending hell for someone else by stopping working three hours before the end of your shift, because that is the opposite of peak ending. Because this kind of thing takes a village, as they say, where your work culture is focused on taking care of each other. Now, do I have evidence that focusing on peak end will improve job satisfaction, that it will lessen burnout? Absolutely, I do not. Yet, When I speak with docs about their work, a frequent and recurrent negative is a protracted ending. And that's not just docs. That's APPs, PAs, NPs. That's nurses. That's techs, etc. And there's an adage in emergency medicine, at least. I don't know if this adage holds to other specialties. But an adage in emergency medicine that the longer you stay, the longer you stay. It has a compounding effect because if you don't sign out patients, if that's not supported, more things are going to be asked of you as you are still in the department and your presence is present. And then each action begets more follow-up actions. So the longer you stay, the longer you stay. And a peak ending, a peak ending for you, your personal one, a peak ending to support your team, as we were talking about before, it doesn't cost any extra money. It doesn't require a new initiative. It doesn't require a health system to do anything special. And when we look at the hierarchy of things to mitigate burnout, there is the personal realm. That's the foundation. That is your health. That is your family, you know, getting that in order. There is work, the things that you do at work. And then there's the systems. And the system's oftentimes the hardest to work on. So this does not require a system beyond your department, beyond you setting a culture. So that begs the question, can you support each other's peak ending? Can you make it your mission or 
one of your missions, not your only mission, to support the peak ending of your partners, of your staff, of your nurses, of your techs, of your scribes, of your clerks, and have them do the same for you. Because it seems like the ending of a workday takes so much more effort than the beginning. That last push is often inefficient. The coefficient of friction increases. That's how I think about it. So how can you make sure that each other's exit experience is frictionless? When you think about the ending of your shift or your day in the clinic, how does it usually go? Oh gosh, that's such a slog at the end of the day. Or there's something that just really delays me doing X, Y, or Z. I don't know, maybe it goes great. But how does it usually go? And now let me ask you this. How do you wish it went? So you have the current reality and then how you wish it went. And there's the gap between. So what is one small step you can take to bridge that gap? One small step, one small action you can take to create the peak end. And that is it for today. To learn more about one-on-one coaching, to sign up for our newsletter, to get complete show notes for this or any other episode, to become a Patreon and support the podcast, just go to our website, roborman.com. And until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.